Good afternoon, morning, it's still morning, a couple minutes to all of our guests, our friends, our family that's here. Blueprint Stone Mountain that is live, streaming live right now. It's a beautiful time to be in the house of the Lord, and it's a beautiful day. And after you get fed spiritually here, hopefully you get a good meal, some Jamaican food. So let's go to the text, man. We got a doozy here today. It's something. Y'all ready for it? Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. And as long as your heart postures inclined before the Lord as we read his word, some will stand, I don't know. Just as long as our heart is inclined to the authority of the word, because the reality is I can say a lot of stuff, but if it ain't according to the word, I want you to just cast it aside. We need the word of the Lord today, all right? So Luke chapter, 20, chapter 14 Verse 25 through 35. And I'm going to read this text. Y'all ready? Yes. yes. Back in the day, we would say, you still hear pages, only a few pages. Now we got it, you know, old school. But Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower does, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? If it isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile, they throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that we get to see our Lord in action. Thank you that he's a God that we can't comprehend and we can't just think we know what he's going to say. He says what he wants to say and he's the only one who has ever walked the earth that says what he means and means what he says. So I thank you, Lord, that we are here today able to chop it up in your word. And I pray that, Lord, I don't butcher it, but that your spirit would allow me to communicate your truth and that the heart's of your people and those who are yet to be your people but from this word will come to know you will be eternally affected i love you lord thank you for everything you're doing in my life and in the life of your church in jesus name i pray amen amen you may be seated so man before we dive in i want to recap last week i passed the dahadi he killed it i mean that just literally means he did a great job preaching. He killed the word. He, 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 he went 
back, and we'll kind of go back and see how it ties in, but he preached on the parable of the great feast. And so when he preached on the great feast, man, he killed it. And, uh, and, and what happened in the great feast is that Jesus, he preached a message that kind of shamed the Pharisees because they was always against him. And he enlarged the scope of his grasp for people because the Pharisees always had it where just a few here. And if you're this or if you're that, you can't be a part of this. Jesus was like, no, I want to invite everybody. But in the midst of the parable, he gave some examples of people who made excuses why they couldn't come to the feast. And I think that ties in here. After Jesus preached and he was at the feast, he left the Pharisee's house. And once he left the house, we see in verse 25 a great crowd. So they liked what they heard. A great crowd came and followed Jesus, and we know that. Great crowds. It says here in the 25th verse, now, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them. So now, picture this. Jesus, you know, uh, in God incarnate comes in the flesh, and of course, he draws many people. But Jesus had a, a very skill. He had a skill for drawing great crowds, but he also had a skill of narrowing them down. <laughs> He could retract a lot by what he said. And look, so as the crowd is following him, look, he turns and says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Shockwaves, right? I know the brothers was in there like, hate my mama? What? My, you know, mamas hate my daughter. No. Shockwaves. But, but Jesus, this falls into the category of what we call hard sayings. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage and this text in three points. And I'll get back to the hard sayings. Three points. The first point we're going to make is in verse 25 through 27, we see the controversial call to discipleship. This is controversial, talking about hate, all the people that we supposedly are supposed to love, and, and, and if you want to follow me. So that's a controversial call to discipleship. Then two, we're going to look at 28 through 33, the contemplative cost of discipleship. How do we contemplate or think about, man, he's saying this? Do I really want to do that? And then the third is we're going to look at 34, verse 34 and 35, the consequences of a casual commitment to Christ. The consequences of just a casual commitment to Christ. First, I want to talk about this, this, these hard sayings of Jesus. This is not the first time. If you've read through the New Testament, even God has some hard stuff to say. But if you read through, Jesus often has some hard things to say. They sound difficult. They, 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 things that sound even harsh at times, and very difficult to accept. <laughs> in Luke chapter 9, earlier, Jesus, this, this blew me away. I mean, I'm, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, reading the scriptures and some stuff, I was like, man, there was nobody, because I was in a place where nobody couldn't explain it to me, and that's a whole other story, but Luke 9, this dude come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, because Jesus is gathering followers, right? And in Luke chapter 9, around the 60th verse, a guy comes to him and says, Lord, let me first go bury my father, and then I'll come follow you. 
You know what Jesus' response was? Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. It's a hard saying. Of course, there's a context to it. And one of my favorites, I, I used to laugh at this, but this is amazing. When Jesus, after in, in John chapter 6, I believe, after he fed, the, the, he fed like the 5,000 plus women and children, and, and another instance, a big crowd is now following him. And he says to them, hey, since you done ate that fish, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Hold up, eat flesh? And then they asked, well, he said again, yeah, I say again, if you don't eat my flesh, drink my blood, <laughs> you have no part with me. And you know what they said? They said, this is a little bit too difficult. And the Bible says a lot of them no longer walk with him. I can't handle it, Jesus. So this falls under that category of hard sayings. Look at this 26th verse right in there. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, that's even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now again, okay, let me, let me just take this right away and explain it. This is what is called hyperbole. And, and a hyperbole is when you make an exaggerated statement to make a point. The Hebrews often did this. Even God did it. I loved Esau but hated Jacob. We know God doesn't hate. But he does this, and it really means this word hate is to love less. The, the idea is this. Listen to this. The idea is to love God more so you can love others right. And which is loving them at the highest degree when you love them right. See, in and of ourselves, what we call love, we got a love called love and hip-hop. That's love. I don't know if you watch that show. You shouldn't, but I peeked every now and then. But that ain't love. Man, is it love? But that's flesh love. See, God helps us to love right. Matthew 10 and 37, he says, the one who loves, he kind of parallels this text, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Loving God more to the point where a human being will not cause you to compromise against God. I had a friend, man, this, this brother, he was something else. I thought I was something else, but he was something else. And his mother, man, was one of the most sweetest women I knew. And she was a, he was an only child. And he was out there wilding out, but he always had his mother as that crutch. If anybody else, but I don't care what, he could rob a bank. He could, so Mama going to let him in and take care of him. And one day he said, his mother said, the Lord said, no more. The Lord said, no more. And he said, he went to his mother's house and was knocking on the door. Mama, let me in. I need you. She said, no, nah, baby, can't do it. The Lord has told me no. He said his mother, the only thing his mother would do was set a plate of food out there every day for him, but wouldn't let him in. She loved God more. But you know what the flip is? That rocked him. Now that brother, after years, has been faithful to the Lord, is now a deacon in everything. See, to love God more means to love others less, but then you're putting them in the position where now God can work on them with some real love. That's how it works. Then he says this. You got to love. He says, whoever does not, in the 27th verse, 
You got to even love, no, before that, he says, you got to even love me more than your own life, (laughs) more than your own self. This is good, too, because before Christ, do we really love ourselves? Think about this. Before Christ, or even after Christ, would you put somebody somebody else in the positions that you put yourself in if you really love them? I did some crazy, I'm I'm the only one, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. I thought I loved myself, but if I loved myself, I wouldn't have been doing some things. The teens you should have let, because I could share more, but I don't want to do it. So, 27, he says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple to bear the cross. He says, if you can't bear your own cross, see, I want to I dis- dispel a notion of Christianity as just all glory and, man, you're going to be rich and you're going to get all this. We like the glory, but we don't like the goriness. I heard this one preacher say, man, nobody want to hear nothing about no bloody cross. And that preacher, he, he checked out of here right, I mean, but I don't know if God judged him, but that was, the cross is essential. But see, This is the thing about the cross. The cross, bearing our cross, means to handle challenging situations. See, you know how they say when the going get tough, the tough get going. When the going get tough for Christians, sometimes we quit. But Jesus says, no, you have to bear your cross. The cross represents the guilt, the shame, the pain, the sin. See, bearing our cross means taking everything to the Lord. Do you know the Lord says he don't want bull offerings no more? Something he says a broken and a contrite spirit, I won't despise that. The enemy will tell us just because we got stuff going on, we should not come to Jesus. Well, he's the only one we should come to because that's the sacrifice he wants. He don't want our righteousness. He got all the righteousness. Bring him some sin so he can turn it into righteousness. That's the cross. But that's the controversial call to discipleship is you got to love them more so you can love others less. Then you can love them right and love them to the utmost. The contemplative cost of discipleship. Let's look at this verse right here, verse 28. It says, for which of you wanted to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. 31, what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks, for terms of peace. Man, this is to contemplate the call. I know coming up in Christianity, sometimes we hear the call to the gospel, and it's an emotional response. And I think emotion is fitting in Christianity. The problem is that not only is he a God of our emotions, he's a God of our intellect, of our whole being. So we just can't stay in the emotional lane. We got to kind of contemplate. What is God requiring of me? Maybe some of you have misheard the call. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
uh, of the cost of discipleship. He says this, and you didn't hear this when you first gave your life to the Lord, but he says, the Lord bids men come die. Now that's a call. I don't know if no altars would be filled with that. Come die. But that's the call. The gospel, yes, is free. It's free grace. But the gospel will cost you everything. Building a life on the foundation of the gospel costs. And, and you know, really, and we'll find out from Philippians 3, I mean, really the stuff that we think is so valuable. I mean, I, do, you, do anybody ever get tricked in, Tara, you know, get tricked in looking at these houses, these big old mansions and houses and all of this stuff? I like them shows. But, man, the, the, everything changed so quick. Them houses <laughs> will be outdated in about five years. And not only that, let me go on, let me go on, let me go on. Look, let me, get, let me go on because I'll be all day. We want to eat. Which he says in the 29th verse, otherwise after he has laid the foundation, can I finish it? All the onlookers will begin to ridicule him. 31, what king going to war against another king when I first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? I like this analogy of war because most of the time we come to Christianity, we think, of, think of it as now my life will be all peaceful. But there are many, many, all of Jesus. I mean, there's so many illustrations that this Christian life is one of warfare. It's one of warfare, and we have to calculate. I remember thinking, man, really, am I able to give up this, that, and the other? And I realized this, and I wrote this down a long time ago. Jesus didn't come to just tweak my life. He came to turn it on his head, causing me to have to reprioritize everything and everybody. See, one of the ways we count the cost, I think... We live in such a comfortable age. One of the ways we count the cost is we look at those who have come before us. I'm talking about real martyrs. I remember uh, <laughs> I, was, I was in a bookstore when I first became a Christian. And this dude I recognized was in there. And I was like, hey, man, I recognize you. He says, yeah, man, my name's Michael Tate. I'm part of the, you know, my, my, my group is DC Talk. I said, oh, okay, and I had heard of him, but I, you know, I wasn't rocking with D.C. Talk, the teachers on, I mean, I was more Menace Standard, Fred Hammond, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's why I was rocking, no, no, no offense. But, but Mike Tate was cool, and they had this book that came out called Jesus Freaks. And he was in there, and we was talking about the book, and I was like, okay, he probably, you know, they signed his CDs and books, should I get the CD or the book? I knew I probably wasn't going to listen to the music, but I liked to read. I said, let me get the book. Even though the title, Jesus Freaks, I'm like, but I got it. And you know what? That book rocked my life. Because it's a book talking about martyrs. Not the ones, the Fox's, Fox books of martyrs, that's an old one. This one was talking about modern day martyrs. Families, man, I remember one. I'll just give you an example one. It was his family, right? And they was about to be executed because they was Christians in this one country. And they was out in the woods in the forest. And the family was about to get executed. The, the father, the mother, it was kids, it was a son. 
And before they was about to get executed, the son just took off and ran into the woods. And, and, and the soldiers was about to come after him, but the, the father said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. He said, hey, son, you can stay out there for maybe an hour or two and die. They'll catch you. But he says, come back and die with your family so we can all go to glory together. And then after, after a couple minutes, the little boy just crinkling through the woods and came back and stood with his family. I was like, whoo. See, those type of books help us to prepare for the real. See, you don't prepare for war during wartime when it comes. You prepare for war during peacetime. And believe me, we don't know. I'm not a warmonger. I'm not saying, hey, you better get ready and Y2K, everybody better. But I'm telling you, Christianity can change. The culture can change. Things can change. They can say, they can come up here with machine guns and say, no meeting, no more. How much substance will we have in us to be able to stand? We got to count the cost. The contemplation of the cost of discipleship. Finally, the consequences of a casual commitment to Christ. 34 says, now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Jesus often used, you know, this analogy, we are the salt of the earth, right? And most of you know that salt is a preservative. But salt was, was something that if you kept it secure, it could stay forever. I mean, you could keep it forever, and it would not lose its flavor. But if you exposed it and left it out, it would get stale, and it would have no flavor at all. Well, sometimes as Christians, we don't, we don't stay insulated inside where we need to be. We, the world sometimes can get us to lose our flavor. You know, back in the 90s, that was, that was it, wasn't it? The flavor. You hear come the brand new flavor in your ear. You know, hip-hop was all about flavor. You know what I mean? You lose your flavor, you know. And, and rappers, man, they lose their flavor. I mean, they be hot, and then that flavor start to dwindle. Hoopers, man, I mean, except for LeBron James. But hoopers can lose that flavor. But see, Christians ain't never supposed to lose that flavor. Why? Because the outer man perish, but the inward man should be renewed day by day. But it happens to us, man. For some reason, man, I think we become so wise that we become foolish. We get to learn words and stuff, don't we? We get Christian for a while. Legalism. and Everything's legalism. Hey, praying is legalism. Staying away from alcohol. Everything is legalism. And we squeeze out everything till there's no devotion. And see, that's when the world creeps in. We become so wise. <laughs> I don't have to do all that. I don't need to do all that. I'm a Christian. I'm freedom. Freedom to fail. Freedom is to be faithful, not to fall. If salt loses its flavor, Jesus says we got to remain salty, man. The world needs us salty. He needs us to keep our flavor. If not, it ain't worth nothing. It's, you just throw it away. Just toss them to the side. No impact. See, one of the most fearful things for a Christian should not be Am I really a Christian or am I going to go to hell? One of the most fearful things is, will I be rendered useless in this life? I remember saying, I, mean, I want to be useful. I don't want to be useless. I don't want his grace given to me to be in vain. 
I want to be useful, Lord. Help me be useful. Paul did this well. He, he, he knew the cost of discipleship, and we should all take note of this. I love this quote by Jim Elliott. It says this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, this life will say, keep it all, but you're no fool if you give up. Paul said it like this, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, just to know him. Remember that Fred Hammond song, I want to know your ways, just to know him. I mean, songs wasn't about give me the bins, give me the bins, Lord, just know him. The surpassing value, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them dung. What is dung? Consider them boo-boo. <laughs> Nothing. Down the toilet so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. I said it before. Nothing in the world will compare to the imputed righteousness that Christ wants to give us. Because when we transition from here, death to life before the Lord, he's going to look with the x-ray of his x-ray eyes and see if he sees the righteousness of his son. How do you get the righteousness of his son? By being righteous? No. By confessing your sin and saying, I'm not righteous. I need your righteousness, Lord. That's when you confess your sins and on the cross comes the great exchange. He takes my sin, dies for it, gives me his righteousness. Now I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My last quote, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, and listen to this. And if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? Where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. For the disciples, it was flat at head. Only he knows the journey's end. But once we come and contemplate, we accept that because we know to live is Christ and to die is gain. He finishes the quote by saying, but we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. I wanted to say that because joy is not like happiness. Happiness is determined by your circumstances. Joy is an anchor that only God can give that no matter what, no matter if they finna fly that head, no matter if he calls me to some uncomfortable stuff, I still have joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength to go through those things. Stand to your feet. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.